That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles, welcome to all my caregivers out there in Radio Land. I am Dave, the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we are also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio. I mean, the list goes on and on. And in fact, we are proud to be voted just recently from number two, number one caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of thousands, and also the number one podcast on Player FM out of the top 50. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Denise Brown, a good friend, began helping individuals who care for family members in 1990 and launched her business to support them in 1995. She created one of the first online caregiving communities in 96, which she managed until its sale in 2020. Denise now develops and delivers training programs for the workplace and for individuals who want to coach family caregivers. More than 400 individuals from eight different countries have enrolled in her training programs offered through her company. Wow. It's called the Caregiving Years Training Academy, which is an appropriate name. She's the author of several books that provide insights, comfort, and hope to those who care, including The Caregiver Years, Your Guide to Navigating the Six Caregiving Stages, and After Caregiving Ends, A Guide to Beginning Again. Her free resource, A Workbook for Your Workplace Wellness, helps individuals who care, grieve, and work. Before we get started, I want to thank my last week's guest, Wes Donahoe. He developed a unique approach to caregiving that's proving to be truly helpful. Join him in that interview in an in-depth discussion with the CEO of Helpful about why they're building a different type of caregiver support application. Just a reminder that you can listen to that interview and all our interviews on our caregiver website, caregiverdave.com, and all those uh, platforms that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Denise, so great to have you on the Caregiver Dave show. It's been many, many moons ago since I last had you on. Yeah, it's great to be back. It's good to see you, Dave. Well, thank you. It's good to see you, and it's good to be seen. (laughs) I always like to ask my guests just who is Denise Brown and why was she placed on God's green earth? Yeah, that's a great question. So I hope to be kind. I think that's important to be kind and to be a listener. I enjoy listening. I never tire of listening. I value the skill of listening. I teach the skill of listening. And I think today, more than ever, we do need good listeners. And I also think we crave a good listener in our life. So I guess a kind listener would be how I would describe my purpose here on earth. That's a great answer. And, you know, that's why God gave us two ears and only one mouth, because we're supposed to listen twice as much as we speak. (laughs) Yes. So tell us, as you've written a book and you're doing something new that you used to be doing when I interviewed you last, many moons ago, uh, tell us about the six stages that you talk about. 
So I initially developed this concept in 1997. So I had had my online community. I was getting the same kind of questions asked a little differently, but it was pretty much, why me? Why now? What now? And I thought, how do I answer this so that it's a universal answer, so to speak, so that it's broad enough that anybody could apply a framework to their situation, but it's specific enough so that a family caregiver feels understood when they read about the stages. So I thought, well, what do I, how do I stage a caregiving experience? And I took inspiration from staging the disease of Alzheimer's. And I thought about why do family caregivers like that? It's because you have this feeling of being normal within an experience that feels not so normal. So that was what I wanted to bring into this idea of how do you stage the caregiving experience? So when I first staged it, there were four stages. And then I put it up on my website, asked for feedback. What do you think? And then I added two more stages. And then over the years, I have refined and tweaked and adjusted the stages. So I'll release the 10th edition of the book in January of 2024. Keep updating it. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's different. Caregiving has changed. It's evolved. It's harder. It's more stressful. It's more complicated. It's more complex. And I really want the book to feel like relevant for today, not relevant for 1997. So the framework is the same, but the details within each stage have changed in terms of what are the resources available? How do you talk about caregiving? How do you get support? And how does it feel? And the other is piece is the about, same title, uh, each book. Okay. Do- so that's interesting. Okay. So it used to be. The Caregiving Years, Six Stages to a Meaningful Journey. And when I was working on the eighth edition, I was in the midst of caring for my parents. And I thought there was nothing meaningful for about this. And so I took that out and I changed the title. <laughs> so it used to it used to be more about the meaning of the experience. I now that caregiving has ended for me, I was in a situation of caring for my parents for almost 20 years. You know what the long-term caregiving uh-huh. hall is like. And I have 27 for my, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, three decades. I mean, yeah. So I wanted to revisit the idea of what's the meaning of the experience. I still am not sure I have that figured out. But (laughs) anyway, years ago, it was a different experience. And it was easier to come out of the experience and feel like, wow, this was really meaningful. I think what could happen now is you come out of the experience and you are just done. Your body hurts, your bank account hurts, <laughs> your soul hurts. And so it's hard to feel like that was really meaningful. So there's the search for meaning still. It's just, I think, woven within the book in a more undertones rather than more yeah, we need overtones. To, we need to understand that everything happens for a reason. I mean, the Bible says that, and I believe that, and i that's what makes me uh, so content in life because no matter what life throws me, and it's thrown me a lot, you know, financially and physically and uh, relationally and all that stuff. But um, I always say, oh, well, this is happening for a reason. God will give me grace to get through this like he did the last challenge. And um, if we don't find meaning in something, we get a little depressed and we get uh, start questioning, you know, our core values. Yes. Absolutely. You wonder, was this for naught? And I think really the meaning comes in during those last weeks of a Carrie's life where you see how profound it is to help someone die. 
And then I think you, you connect to a meaning of life. You understand life when you are present during someone's death. Now, you might not be present at the very last moment, because sometimes that's just not what a carry needs, but you are present to the experience of someone dying. And that can happen over a couple of years. I think about my mom's end of life. It was really the last couple of years. Mm. It wasn't the last couple of weeks. And being present to her and her vulnerability and her fears and really just focusing on not trying to convince her of anything, but just letting her air out what was upsetting, what was challenging for her, really did turn into something that was meaningful. What's interesting, I think you have a great perspective in life. You have a great perspective in life. And I have lost that perspective of life during my caregiving experience at times. And so I wanted to be really generous with the title that wherever you are in your caregiving experience, however it feels, the topic of the book would be relatable to you. Great. I, I agree. Good job. Um, now, you've named 17 caregiving systems. Share an example of how we manage several of these systems during one experience. Um, that's uh, I don't even know where you're going with that, but it, I'm excited to find out. Yes. So we reconnected on LinkedIn and I had shared this diagram of what it was like for me yeah, to manage it's, my It's yeah. like a football play that they're about to do. <laughs> right. Yes. Diagrams just, and arrows right, like Alice's right, restaurant. Yeah, right. It doesn't you look at it, you think, what <laughs> am I looking at? It's because when we're in the middle of it, we're doing, oh my gosh, how am I managing this? So I started thinking about system navigation a couple of years ago. And when I thought about it, it was really because people were talking about care coordination. And I thought, yes, of course, we coordinate care, but that's not it. That's not the end all be all. And for many people, it was, it's just care coordination. So I started thinking about, well, if it's system navigation, what is it? So I train caregiving coaches. And so during the training, we talk about system navigation. And so I had a slide that had probably five or six different systems and they were the ones that you would typically think of, you know, payer, provider, medical, healthcare. And I asked the training program participants, you know, looking at this slide, here are some systems, which systems did I miss? And one said, you missed nervous system. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so obvious. How did I miss that? Of course, nervous system. It's our nervous system. It's our caries nervous system. It's other family members' nervous system. So once I thought of, once I heard that, I really started listening differently when people talked about their caregiving experience to hear about the different systems. So I talked to a mom of a special needs child. She talked about what it was like to move through the education system and really have her child's needs met within a school district. So then I thought, okay, well, let's count these. So when I counted the number of systems, I initially counted 10. Then I thought, well, that's not it. And then I added another three. I thought, well, that's not it. I'm missing some. I got to 15. I thought, well, I'm still missing some. And then I got to 17. And then I thought, that's it. Stop. You have enough. There's enough. Because one of the last systems that I added was narcissism. Because the systems themselves are narcissistic. So, for instance, think about hospital discharge day. When has a discharge planner ever said to you, Dave, we're going to discharge your wife today? 
when's a good time for you to come and pick her up, right? They never ask. They just say, come, and then you sit and wait and wait and wait. And then we have narcissism within our family systems. And then workplace, which is another system, if we're still working, we might have coworkers or a manager who feels like they have a narcissistic trait. So think about all of that as it relates to just one day during a caregiving experience. You could be managing five or six different systems within one situation, which could be that a new home health aide through a new home health agency is starting and you're having a hard time with the scheduler at the agency because she just wants to schedule it when it works for her, not when it's convenient for your caree. And then you're trying to get your caree on board with adding help, but they are nervous about it because it's a stranger, because it's feeling different. It's a change. And then you're nervous about it because you think we need this help. What if my caree says no, never again after the home health aid leaves? And then you have the home health aid coming in. So you're working with a provider, you're providing training. You get where I'm going. It's a lot. It's a lot which explains why we are so tired. Well, I'm glad you uh, explained that because uh, I'm sure none of us really understood why we were so tired. Um, so talk. let's talk about self-care because caregivers are so reluctant to take care of themselves. You know, they're reluctant to ask for help. They're reluctant to put their needs first. They're reluctant to uh, eat right, sleep right. Uh, you know, they they allow the um, needs of the caree to um, almost hurt them, right? Because the airlines tell us, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before you help. That that sounds so selfish. I mean, I'm the caregiver's caregiver, and even I have trouble doing that. If I heard my little three year old screaming, gasping for breath, you know, you know, I'm I'm going to think twice about taking care of my needs first know, uh, to come to her aid because she's young and she wouldn't understand. So uh, talk about self-care and, um, you know, how our attitude and mentality towards self-care changes during the caregiving. Maybe we're a great uh, self-care advocate. You know, we, we go to the gym and we, we, we don't neglect our friends, but all of a sudden we're a caregiver and all that goes out the window. Yeah, I think we have to give ourselves grace around self-care during caregiving is different. So for instance, we had this great self-care schedule. We were exercising five days a week. We were really being great about what we ate. We had time to socialize and then caregiving happens and it all goes out the window. And really when a caregiving experience starts, it breaks your life. And what you're trying to do is put back the pieces. And I think putting back the pieces is your first step to self-care. Oftentimes people will jump over that or listen to people who tell them to jump over that and just start right back to your routine of five days a week at the gym. Mm -hmm. And it just may not be possible. Our energy is different during our caregiving experience. Our time is different. Our perspective might be different. Our day is different. Our routine is different. So trying to put back the pieces of life after it breaks takes time. The other piece of it too is adding help is a change. And it can be a change that we're not sure we can trust. So we have to work through how do we add in more help in a way that we can trust that it's going to be worth our time investment, right? Because we're putting time into this help. 
We don't just leave when the home health aide shows up. We go through the training. We show the home health aide around the house. We make sure that the carries needs are expressed to the home health aide so they know what to do when. It's a lot. It's a lot. I think about a family caregiver really having this house of cards. And we have figured out how to keep the house of cards upright. And we're worried about making a change that will cause this fragile house of cards to just fall. And then if if it falls, everything is that much harder. So we have to figure it out. Yeah, we have to figure it out in a way that works for us. And it's a process. And it's a process that might not make sense to anybody else. And so I think we hear those messages of, you got to do this, you got to do this. And it just might be something that we just have to kind of find the right fit and decide when the fit is right. Yeah. I mean, I've been talking about burnout for years, but you have an interesting term for that, or maybe it's different from burnout, but it's it's certainly a synonym, uh, compassion fatigue. Is that a polite way of saying burnout? <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> And I think of compassion fatigue as really this umbrella term because we have to get specific about what we're weary of. So we might be tired of trying. We might be tired of cooperating. So we cooperate with the systems, but the systems don't cooperate back with us. Mm. We might be tired of worrying. We might be tired of being gracious. So we might have people in our life that are always telling us what to do. And we just Mm. grin and bear it because we think, Christmas is coming. I'm going to sit across the dinner table from them. And I just want to be able to get through it. I don't want to have to regret what I said two weeks ago. (laughs) So I'm going to grin and bear it. So when we can get specific about what we're weary of, then we can be specific about the strategy that helps us. I think it's too hard to figure out what to do with compassion fatigue because it's too big of a concept. What does that mean, compassion fatigue? But getting specific means that we could think through, well, what will help me? because I'm tired of trying. Well, we can take a break from trying and just say, everything is okay right now. We've done everything we can. We've tried everything we can. So let's just take a break. And then we'll come back to it in two weeks or three weeks, whatever it might be. But it's a good term because at least it lets people know why I'm feeling this way. It's because I'm compassionate. And compassionate is a good thing, but it lets them know that there's limits to our compassion. There's limits to our patience. There's limits to our, you know, self-care. And we have to keep everything in balance. There's that word again, balance, right? Yeah, absolutely. And we are, as you know, we're just giving. And it's impossible to keep giving without receiving. That's right. You give, 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 and there's nothing left to give. And sponge is dry. What do you do next? You know? Right. Right. Um, in, in Israel, there's a sea called the Dead Sea, and nothing can live there. You know why? Because it's got an inlet, but no outlet. It just stays there and it gets stagnant. And that's why, you know, we need to be um, not just a cup, but a, a pipe where things go through us when, you know, people give in to us and then we give in to them, you know. Um, you have practical strategies that... Uh, you know, it's one thing to tell people to uh, promote self-care and do things for yourself, but how about getting practical? You know, how can a caregiver who's working uh, another job and then comes home and, uh, you know, they're 
loved one is uh, ordering them around with the needs that they have. And, and the next thing you know, they're crawling into bed. The next thing you know, they're waking up early uh, to the alarm clock and it starts all over again. How, where's the time for self-care? I think it's thinking through what can I delegate? Delegation. Yeah. And I think sometimes we feel like it always has to be delegated per, to a person. And so that always feels a little awkward. Well, I don't want to ask this person. So we can start to get used to delegating by thinking about what can I delegate to technology? Mm. What can I delegate to a service? What can I delegate to another day? What can I delegate to next year? And it's thinking through what's the imperfect that I can live with. And, you know, new mothers are good at this because, you know, they have a one-year-old or two-year-old and there's, there's so many things that they use to aid their delegation, you know, like that, that thing that they put on themselves and the baby just walks around wherever they go. That's, that's taking away the need for babysitting or uh, to, to have your, uh, to be chained to the high chair or something like that. Or, um, you know, the, the little tablets that they use and they here sit down and play with this for a while. And of course, uh, you, you want to find educational ones so that they're not just uh, doing mindless uh, mind games that that don't accomplish anything. So what other technologies can you think of or, or delegations? So you also, yeah, so you also made me think of something, which is that we are running a small business. Our caregiving experience is the equivalent of having a small business. You know this, Dave. So we run a small business in a way that's logical, practical. It's um, it's about delegating when we're a small business owner. And so I think if... Yeah, we can't do it all. No. And so if you're a family caregiver, a if team. you step... Yes. If you step back and think of this as I'm running a business, it turns it from an intensely emotional experience into something that is a little more logical. And when it's logical, I think it's easier to think about what do I delegate? Who else can help? And then we take out managing someone else's emotion. So we get worried about asking others in the family to help because we think, oh, we don't want to burden them. You know, it's terrible for me. I can't imagine asking someone else. And really, it's not a burden. It's an opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to do it in the same way that we do, or that they're going to commit to the same time that we do, but they can add value. They can bring something into the experience that is helpful for you. And as the CEO of this caregiving company, what you're looking for is to bring in the skills and talents of others around you so that it's a smoother running machine. That is always, oh, go ahead. I was going to say now that you've, um, you've entered into a, an envious stage for many caregivers, you know, where caregiving has ended for you for now, because you never know what's coming down the road. Right. Exactly. You had a 10, 10 year break between your mother and your father. So I hope you spent that time uh, wisely. And now you have another break and, um, uh, you yeah, know, so after, just to, oh, sorry, just let me just finish my thought yeah, and then you can ahead. jump in. After caregiving can be very stressful for people because they're so used to doing the stuff that caregivers do and maybe even being identified with that when someone says, Well, how are you? And you know, they immediately start talking about their caregiving duties because they can't separate who I am and what I do. 
And many of them get depressed. Many of them don't know what to do. Uh, many of them become suicidal. And the day has come that they've been long waiting for, and they should be happy and rejoice. But, you know, their loved one just passed, and now they're feeling all these mixed emotions. How do we deal with that? Yeah, so I haven't had a break from caregiving until just recently. So I started with my dad in 2004, and then I continued to care for him oh. until... I miss Yeah, until July okay. of 2023. And then my mom became critically ill in 2015. So then I. The one added, merged into the other. Yeah. So <laughs> I added her as a, my second Carrie. And then I helped her until her death in so August. So this is of really a, your first break in a long time. Yes. Yeah. So this is the first break. How are you handling it? Yeah. Well, so far, so good. <laughs> I, uh, I People would ask me all the time, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I guess because. I've had the luck of being able to support family caregivers for so many years. I was able to probably plan and prepare a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. I wasn't so shocked by the finality of it. And I think because my mom was ready to go, she was ready to go to heaven. My dad was ready at the end of their lives. It wasn't, I wasn't overcome by sadness. I had a brother who died unexpectedly in August of 2021. So my mom spent the last year of her life really heartbroken. Mm. And it was it was a relief that she was in heaven. Sure. And then my dad wanted to be with my brother and my mom. So it was a relief for him to be in heaven. I feel their presence. I receive signs from them. I still still feel very connected to them. And I, because they're, I know this sounds so trite and sometimes it's the <laughs> worst thing to say to someone. So I would never say this to someone, but it just feels appropriate in my situation. I really feel like they are in a better place. They are healthy. My dad had bladder cancer. So he had an ostomy bag. He hated it. He hated it. He hated it. So when he was dying, we were so happy that he wouldn't have this ostomy bag anymore. Of course, so it, they're in a better yeah, place. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't a tragedy for me when they died. Now, when my brother died, it was a tragedy. So I, I had that perspective of what a tragic death is. Right. So perhaps that helped me. I will also say that my younger sister is struggling a lot now in a way that I am not. And I've often thought, what's the difference between our our struggle? I, I can't quite figure it out, but it's harder for her than it is for me. And I don't know, too, if it was because I spent so much time with my parents. I have no regrets because I was so involved in their care, so involved in their lives. I have great memories of things that we did together. I really, I really felt it important to be ever present in their lives. And so mm. maybe that's the piece where you feel like, okay, I did everything. They had yeah. long lives. They, my dad was 90. 92 my mom was 88 they had long lives they yeah. had long lives hey I, I can't believe how fast our time has gone today um let's talk about what you're doing now to help support family caregivers yeah so i have a training academy we have training programs for anyone who wants to be a, a, become a caregiving coach or a facilitator or a guide and a guide is someone who delivers educational workshops in our communities. So you're training to be a trainer, training people. 
Yeah. Yeah. Training people to really support family caregivers. I guess that would be the way to, yeah. Yeah. So you're duplicating yourself. I am duplicating myself. And the, the reason it happened is because in 2015, after I'd been up all night taking care of my dad, I was laying on the couch. I was exhausted and the phone rang and I thought, well, I better answer it. And it was someone who asked me to actually create a training program for her so she could deliver the six caregiving stages as a presentation in her community. And that's what really started it. So I thought through what, what does that look like? So I created a coaching program that the foundation is the six caregiving stages. So it's this deep dive into what the experience is like. And then the educational piece is how do you bring that concept out into the communities to teach family caregivers about what's happening, right? Because sometimes you just look to the sky and you think, what is happening? So the idea is that they gain insights from the concept to help them feel more normal and that they can release the judgment of themselves. Why is this so hard for me? What am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. It really is this hard. So where are your clients coming from? I mean, how many caregivers really feel the need of what they've been through and they want to take all of that knowledge and wisdom and teach somebody else to do it? Uh, Are there a lot of caregivers who really are looking forward like that, forward thinking? So it is a specific person. It's not for everybody because sometimes you know, and of course, people think Mm. I've done it. I'm moving on. And then there are some who feel the call. Right. I've done it and I want to make sure it's easier for the next person. So they, they're looking for that reason uh, mm-hmm. that it all happened and maybe right. that's why. Yes, maybe yes this exactly. This is the change course of my life. Yes. It, it felt right. so good doing it. I don't want that good feeling to go away. Right. So for many, it's a second career. Mm. Wow, that's great. Um, Final words before we uh, sign off. Anything uh, you wished we talked about and didn't? No, this was fun. <laughs> it's uh, it's always fun to banter with you, Dave. And I'm oh. so grateful. I'm grateful that you asked me on. Thank you so much. It was fun. And I don't usually go on uh, LinkedIn very often. I I need to and I should, but it's it just to me it's just not very user friendly. And I get these invitations from people all the time. And, you know, you can't answer them all. And most of the time, people just want to sell me something. And so, you know, so I was just looking because I I had like 35 requests or and I was just reading through them. And I saw you and I saw your diagram and I says, wow, this is different. Let me have her on. So maybe I should do that more often. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, social media, it's all about how you actually work it, right? Because otherwise it'll work you. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, how can our listeners get a hold of you if they want to learn more about what you do? Yeah, so actually there's a couple different websites. So the Training Academy is careyearsacademy.com. And then we have a community where you can join to receive support, join our events, special workshops, and that's called caringourway.com. So it's three words, caringourway.com. Caringourway.com. And you used to have um, a domain and you sold that one. Is that one still in business or what's going on with that? Do you know? Yeah, it is. It is still there. Yep. Okay. 
Well, remember that all our live uh, shows become recorded pod and video cast on all your favorite platforms. And my number one best-selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times and Spreading Wisdom All Over the World. It's available wherever books are sold and also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever you're struggling with. Sometimes 30 minutes of wisdom can often resolve a debilitating problem. Again, that's uh, caregiverdave.com. And don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community of 34,000 caregivers. Lots of tools, resources, videos, this radio show, and much, much more. And did you know that if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. Thank you, Denise. It was a great show. (laughs) Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm glad you had fun because, you know, we need to entertain and educate. And if we're doing one and not the other, people are going to get bored. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So with a true heartfelt thank you, I wish you all well. And thank you so much for helping us to become the number one caregiver podcast on the Internet every Wednesday. So until next time, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing.